When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. SCP-3002 Attempts to Assassinate Thought Memories are often unreliable as they fade, alter, and shift within our own minds. Although we often completely believe in the truth of our memories, we generally can't be certain if what we remember is what actually occurred. Eyewitness testimonies in a courtroom are often faulty and our minds will occasionally swap around our memories completely. SCP-3002 is certainly not the first SCP to deal with memories, but it is perhaps the most widespread and dangerous of these anomalies. As a bonus, it's also another SCP that demonstrates some of the really negative consequences when attempting to exploit an anomaly. The 3002 documentation goes through a number of iterations, as we learn more and more about the SCP. The first description given of the anomaly is that it's a shared memory connected to 85% of the prisoner population in the South Rock Penitentiary in Indiana. This was discovered by a psychiatrist working for the prison, who observed that a large amount of inmates mentioned a specific memory from their childhood that seemed to be nearly identical to each other. The memory, designated SCP-3002, consists of the individual walking through or playing in a forest as a child, along with their best friend at the time. At some point, the individual gets into an argument with their friend. This memory seems to occasionally conflict with the individual's actual life experiences, as some had never been in a forest as a child. The Foundation was alerted to this anomalous situation and conducted their own interviews with the inmates. It seems that initially, the inmates were able to recall this memory perfectly, but after several interviews, their recollections begin to fade, eventually becoming similar to any ordinary memory. The reason for this is unclear, but we'll learn soon enough. We're provided an interview log between a Foundation doctor and one inmate that sheds a little more light on the specifics of the memory. After some prodding, the inmate, John Baelish, recalls the memory designated SCP-3002. He says it took place on the 17th of January, 1997, as he and his best friend, John Denunzio, played in Broom Woods. The memory consists of them messing with some squirrels and playing around. Overall, a very pleasant day. They began talking about school, as a new kid had recently enrolled. Baelish thinks they moved there from Slovakia or something. Baelish says his friend went on and on about the new kid, saying apparently racist things, and Baelish remarks that this was rather out of character for John. In the memory, Baelish yelled at his friend, causing them to go their separate ways. Baelish then says that another friend met with him, named Lily. Baelish remarks that Lily was always a little weird, 
claiming that she was retarded or something. Baelish says Lily came over and put her hands on his shoulders and asked him very seriously if he remembered her. He then tries to discuss Lily in further detail, such as her physical characteristics, but then is shocked as he can't recall anything about her. He says that he's sure she was one of his best friends, but then seems to question himself before the interview is concluded. It seems the argument with the friend in SCP-3002 is always about a new kid in school, and there's always a female child with blonde hair, usually described as Slovakian or Eastern European. Moving on to the next iteration, we see that SCP-3002 is now classified as a Class II Contagious Mimetic Hazard that affects the memories of those exposed to it. It can be transmitted through both text and speech, if they describe the anomalous memory, and the memory is then implanted into the subject's mind, with them believing it to be their own. The only new detail we're given about the memory itself relates to the young girl, who is given the full name of Lily Veselka. She is most often described as having pale blonde hair and appearing anemic. She also tends to ask the subject highly specific questions, generally about herself or some sort of project. The Foundation seems to believe that much of Indiana and parts of Illinois are affected by SCP-3002, and they develop a means to test affected individuals without vocal confirmation due to the way 3002 spreads. Affected individuals are given amnestics in order to wipe their memories. At one point, however, three Foundation employees attempted to access 3002's file, despite them not having proper clearance and or not having any prior knowledge of SCP-3002. The first was a janitor, who lacked clearance, followed by another attempt five minutes later by a Foundation agent, who also lacked clearance. Twenty minutes later, a senior researcher who did possess proper clearance successfully accessed the file and made some edits to it. These edits were reverted a few hours later, but ten minutes after that, the same researcher went back in and made some more edits. These edits were also reverted, the file was locked, and all three were brought in for interrogation. The interviews are conducted by an officer working with the Records and Information Security Administration branch of the Foundation. We're given a log of the interview with the senior researcher, Dr. Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt first tries to feign ignorance over the whole situation, but when shown a physical copy of the 3002 documentation, he says that he saw a few minor errors and went in to fix them. According to the RASA records, this was the first time he had ever accessed SCP-3002, however, and after a few moments, Vanderbilt then says that he remembers looking over his colleague's shoulder on his way to get lunch, and seeing the file. The officer claims this is impossible, as 3002 can only be accessed in a secure environment due to its hazardous nature. Vanderbilt then says all he did was some minor grammatical edits. But the officer says that while grammatical edits were indeed made, he also edited several instances of the phrase SCP-3002, changing them to Lily Veselka. He also removed the references to her being Slovakian, 
and Vanderbilt jumps in to say that she's not Slovakian, and he's known her since he was a kid. But then he pauses and remarks that he doesn't remember where she's from. Vanderbilt is given amnestics, along with the janitor and the agent, and his colleague is brought in to determine if he broke protocol on SCP-3002. It's determined that he did not, leaving the Foundation confused as to how SCP-3002 affected Vanderbilt, since they can't figure out how he would have heard of the memory. We're still left with a puzzle and very few answers, specifically to the questions of who is Lily Veselka and why are multiple Foundation personnel trying to access 3002's file to change it. Let's move on to the next iteration. SCP-3002 has now been bumped up to a Class X mimetic hazard, and all text containing it is to be destroyed, aside from SCP documentation. The security clearance to access it is higher, and if any outside company is found to be creating content containing 3002, they are to be immediately shut down and the owners terminated. It seems that the Foundation has now learned that 3002 is capable of altering, removing, replacing, or adding any memory of an affected individual not just inserting that specific childhood memory. 3002 is capable of affecting both declarative memory, that is, memories involving personal experiences or facts, as well as implicit memories, also known as muscle memory. Affected subjects fully believe these new or altered memories to be their own, and behave accordingly. In other words, SCP-3002 is basically capable of controlling an individual's mind, but does so through the use of memories. For example, if you're used to going down one hallway every day, but suddenly your memories change, and now you're used to going down a different hallway, you have no reason not to go down that different hallway. If you suddenly remember that you were going to access a secure SCP document, you're probably going to go access that document. Additionally, since it can affect muscle memory, you might suddenly no longer be able to remember how to drive a car while driving down a highway. This is an extremely dangerous mimetic hazard, added on to the fact how contagious it seems to be, and it can alter a person's mind to make them willingly spread the hazard. The Foundation originally just thought discussion of that specific childhood memory was what spread 3002 but now they believe that communication of any memory whatsoever from an affected subject can spread 3002. This can be done through text, speech, mathematical formulas, and even thoughts in the case of telepathic entities, although I'm very curious how they learned that. Pretty much all affected individuals share memories of a young blonde girl as a childhood friend named Lily Veselka. They remember her as coming from an Eastern European country, and that she asked them specific questions, such as, What do you know about me? And, Has the project finished? The Foundation suspects that 3002 might be a sapient mimetic hazard, as it seems to adapt to prevent its containment, and it also appears to be focusing on targeting individuals that create large amounts of information or people who do large amounts of research on Slavic or Eastern European history and geography. It's suspected that much of the population of the Midwest USA is currently infected with 3002. 
Four months after interviewing Dr. Vanderbilt, the RASA officer, Whitley, lost control of their vehicle while on vacation, suffering severe spinal injuries in the crash. In the aftermath, a fellow RASA officer suspected that Whitley was under the influence of 3002, and so an interview was conducted between Whitley and the leading 3002 researcher, Dr. Lloyd. Lloyd asks Whitley if he remembers something from his childhood involving a girl named Lily Veselka, although he says to think closely, as she doesn't like to be thought about when she doesn't want to be. Whitley cannot recall, and so Lloyd changes subjects, asking him why he decided to go on vacation. Whitley responds by saying that he felt a mild compulsion lately to research a particular topic within Foundation Files. When asked if he acted on the urge, Whitley says that he recognized the compulsion as the effects of a mimetic hazard, and took the proper countermeasures to remove it. He then says that after he had it removed, he then performed the research of his own volition to satisfy his curiosity. He goes on to say that he looked into files mentioning an entity similar to 3002, as well as a project known as Lethe. We'll get to Project Lethe in a moment. He finishes by telling Lloyd that he'd rather not say more, as his car crash was no accident. He claims that he was pressured off the road by three otherwise unrelated vehicles working in tandem. Lloyd tells him that he's contaminated with 3002 and withholding information, but Whitley says that he can't trust Lloyd, ending the interview. Shortly afterwards, Whitley was terminated due to being infected with 3002. Sometime afterwards, the Foundation gleamed some information from an unknown source about a research facility in a national park in Ukraine. Agents dispatched to the location found an underground facility in ruins, seemed to have been abandoned for a few years. Markings and documents indicate that it was an SCP Foundation facility, although no records exist of it. The agents did, however, find some evidence of recent activity within the facility, including a large number of burnt documents and missing hard drives from computers. One of the facility's furnaces was activated shortly before the agents arrived, and contained traces of human DNA matching a redacted SCP. They did, however, manage to find one document that turned out to be readable. Due to its importance in relation to SCP-3002, I'll read it in its entirety. Vellus, I do not believe continuing active work on Project Lethe is a productive use of our resources. While Lethe has been an invaluable tool for averting broken masquerade-type scenarios, having the project rely on a single anomaly has been causing undue stress in the subject. She has been displaying decreasingly less motor and cognitive function, which may be a consequence of the invasive equipment being used for the procedure. As an example of her cognitive deterioration, she does not respond or register her previous name or designation. In addition to that, she has been becoming increasingly less willing to work with the technicians, to the point of resorting to self-harm in attempts to avoid the procedures. At the current moment, she is under constant observation due to the fact that she attempted suicide several days ago, 
We're not entirely sure how, but it is currently believed she hid a dining utensil during a meal and sharpened it over the next few weeks. We have previously attempted to avoid this type of emotional distress by letting her participate in the various hobbies or activities she enjoyed prior to containment, such as photography and reading. With all that said, I do believe a controllable mass amnestic or memory-altering anomaly is practical in the event of a broken masquerade scenario, so continuing research and development in this field would be wise. As we know for a fact that the mimetic trigger used in Lethe is present in all but a negligible amount of the population, perhaps we could alter it to give us further control over their memories, instead of acting as an anchoring point for our subject. Since we've included the trigger with the neural archetype scans from Yellowstone, a procedure that is not reliant on a human subject would allow for continued use past the lifespan of our current subject. The agents also discovered a surgical theater fitted with equipment for invasive neurosurgery, apparently frequently used. Medical documents and restraints indicate the procedures were done on a conscious subject or subjects. Before we get to the final iteration then, I'll summarize the story of SCP-3002. As you might have figured, SCP-3002 is, or once was, Lily Veselka, although that's not her birth name. The author suggests that she took on that name after forgetting her original name. There's an implication that Lily was originally SCP-105, Iris a blonde female of European descent. But I'll leave that up to you. Lily was taken into the Ukrainian facility for experimentation as part of Project Lethe. Lethe is a classical Greek word meaning oblivion, or forgetfulness, and is connected in Greek mythology to forgetfulness. Project Lethe was basically an attempt to create a global amnestic that didn't rely on chemicals, and could be controlled by the Foundation. Secrecy is paramount to the Foundation, and the risk of a broken masquerade scenario, in which the world learns of anomalies, is a constant one. Being able to quickly reverse such a situation at a moment's notice was apparently worth doing continual brain surgery on a young girl. This invasive surgery continued to degrade her mental well-being, causing her to eventually become suicidal. The reason why Project Lethe was viable was because of a mimetic trigger that was apparently present in almost every human on Earth. This trigger was included with the neural archetype scans from Yellowstone, according to the document, which, in other words, is where SCP-2000 is located. SCP-2000 is the facility designed to recreate the population of the Earth in case of disaster. The Foundation have now included a mimetic trigger with people recreated from SCP-2000, which is practically everyone currently alive, except for, presumably, O5-1 and O5-2, who seem to oversee Project Lethe. Ultimately, the project was shut down. Lily was burned in a furnace and most of the Foundation was none the wiser. According to the author, however, one of the D-Class that Project Lethe used for testing was eventually released back into the prison population and sent to South Rock Penitentiary in Indiana. 
this prisoner was effectively patient zero for the 3002 infection, as Lily still existed in his mind as a thought. This thought was spread to other prisoners through a memory, and so on. The reason why the prisoners began forgetting the memory when the Foundation arrived was because Lily didn't want to be caught, and so she hid inside their minds. She was able to spread into the Foundation, however, and began accessing secure documents to try and hunt down those responsible for Project Lethe. She's continually grown more aware of her own capabilities as she spreads across the population, being able to access practically anyone with the mimetic trigger. Moving on to the final iteration then. The containment procedures are simple. Anyone contaminated by SCP-3002 is to be destroyed, including former staff, family, and acquaintances. Staff must be vetted by O5-1 or O5-2 before gaining access to this document or any remaining staff, suggesting that there aren't many left not infected. SCP-3002 is now classified as a sapient mimetic entity capable of, and currently attempting to, completely erase human consciousness. It resides in any information or memory to which it has access, and while within a human mind, it is capable of mimicking, altering, or removing memories with no known limits. This allows 3002 to completely control an individual, generally for the purpose of spreading 3002. It is currently believed that 78% of the human population is infected, and that 84% of new information created since 2014 is infected with 3002. Several key personnel with the Foundation were infected since Discovery, allowing 3002 to avoid being properly detected or analyzed. The Foundation admits that containment is impossible, and begins accepting termination proposals from the remaining personnel. One proposal is to reach out to other groups of interest for help. Most of the groups don't respond, but the FBI's UIU division did send a response, although it was infected with 3002. The Chaos Insurgency sent an unintelligible voice recording, Marshall, Carter, and Dark also sent a response infected with 3002. Are We Cool Yet sent a bunch of plans for anomalous art pieces. The Serpent's Hand sent a message saying that they fear that she is among them. And Nobody sent a message reading, You should have expected this. A Dr. Connor Teach suggested using SCP-2000 to repopulate the Earth, but the proposal was declined. Another doctor suggested creating an anti-meme to destroy 3002, which was attempted but failed. Dr. Teach again suggested SCP-2000, but was declined. Dr. Teach then suggested looking further into Project Lethe to find a way to destroy a 3002, but the proposal was also declined, and Teach was terminated due to suspicion he was infected. Throughout the course of these proposals, the number of O5 votes for each one has steadily declined, from 13 votes, to 10, to 9, to 8, and to 4. Finally, the last proposal reads simply, Restart. 
with one vote for yes and one vote for no. This is a rather ambiguous ending, as it seems that over time, more and more of the population became infected with 3002, including the O5 Council of the Foundation. In the end, only two remain, them unable to agree on the restart proposal, and us left with no info on what that might entail. Do they manage to save the planet once again against all odds? Or does the world come to its final end? Some might be against an SCP that stretches reality to an actual conclusion of the human race, but either way, the writing here is certainly creative. The Foundation set out with good intentions, as far as they believe, but they ended up being punished by the severity of the consequences. Like I said, there are plenty of SCPs that deal with memories, thoughts, and sapience, but SCP-3002 pushes the concept to perhaps its most frightening.